0: Welcome to Harvest Talk, the podcast of Harvest Community Church in Goshen, Indiana. Harvest is a community church with a vision to change the world, and we do that by reaching people and building their lives. For more information on Harvest Community Church, please check out our website, hccgoshen.org. And as always, I am Pastor Jeremy, and it's just an honor to spend a little bit of time with you today. We are moving right through our secret church edition of the podcast where we are studying the book of Philippians. Modeling it somewhat similar to the idea of churches all over the world that have to gather in secret and can't put on uh, big teaching conferences or even uh, even medium-sized uh, Sunday morning services. They have to meet in secret, and there's a man or a woman, a teacher of some sort with a Bible, opening it up, reading the Scripture and, uh, and teaching it as they go along, uh, much in that <clears throat> uh, fashion. <clears throat> you know, it's one of those things where... I hope that you're enjoying this. We're going, you know, just scripture by scripture. I'm, I'm pretty much doing a, I mean, again, this is a book I'm, I'm very, very familiar with. I've been studying this uh, uh, this book, Good Grief. I, my first time I really studied it, I was 16 years old and my pastor's uh, uh, study with a couple other teenagers and he's walking us through, particularly starting with the passage today. and um, And I've done this, <coughs> excuse me, study after study many, many times in many, many different settings. So it's a book I'm very, very familiar with. Uh, but at the same time I'm kind of going off the cuff like I haven't done a ton of prep work uh, in it and those are kind of differences between a study like this versus what I would do on a Sunday morning where I've got a passage I am shaping I'm, I'm researching and double-checking all my inferences shaping the message doing application uh, those kinds of things and this is kind of just the idea of in desperate times desperate, desperate measures you gather around the word and you hold on for dear life and that's kind of the model uh, we've been doing it looking at uh, the um, book of Philippians. And so today we're actually going to jump into one of my favorite passages of Scripture, one of my most formative theological passages, passages of Scripture in Philippians chapter 3. And so just kind of review <clears throat> just a little bit. As we said, Paul is writing from a Roman prison. He's writing to a church uh, in Philippi, which is a church he's near and dear uh, two, um, he's laying out what we've discovered over time is there seems to be some type of divisive issue going on in the church that Paul wants to get at. And uh, so he's kind of laying, laying the foundation of what's essential, what's the most important in the Christian walk, what what things do we need to rally around and what things do we need to let go of. <clears throat> um, he's, he's pointed to himself as an example. He's pointed to Jesus' humility as an example. Last week, or last podcast, uh, he introduced Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples of humility and putting others first and not being about rivalry and conceit and those kinds of things. And today he's going to he's going to go real strong in um, the issue of grace. We talked a little bit last time about the fact that between chapter 2 and chapter 3, some scholars believe that these are two letters put together because it ends, uh, the first half of chapter 1 and 2, end with a kind of business items, which is a typical way that Paul ends it. And then uh, chapter 3 starts with this really deep theology. And, and, and looking at it, honestly, I can see why you would want to say that because it does kind of look interesting there. And yet, um, here's why I believe um, is one letter. First of all, we don't have any evidence of two separate letters archaeologically. You know, we, we, we see it mostly circulating as one. Um, but I talked last time about how verse chapter 2 ends with two people that Paul is setting up as an example to his overall message. Here he's going to jump right into the issue of what we're putting our confidence in. And it's going to be the issue of ourselves versus the righteousness of God. And where that comes into on an issue of unity and that kind of thing is is really the the basis of rivalry and the basis of conflict and that kind of stuff is over relying on yourself and not recognizing that without God we really are nothing. We really are nothing. And so it sets up the the, the, the principal theological framework for how we're supposed to work through things with unity of the Spirit and the cause of advancing the gospel. And so that's why I kind of think where we're going, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, so let's just jump in. Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Finally, my brothers. My favorite joke, by the way, is the fact that Paul here says, Finally, my brothers, and goes on for uh, two chapters. I like to remind people who think occasionally that, I go very long in preaching that I've got biblical precedent for it because he says finally in his final point, so to speak, is as long as the rest of the book. So anyway, um, he goes a little longer on the finally he says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord to write the same to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I love this idea that that the focal point of rejoicing in God and, and finding your confidence in God and your gratefulness in God, and who God is is a safeguard for us. Worship is a place of safety. And why is worship a place of safety? Worship's a place of safety because it fundamentally gets our, our eyes off of our own concerns, who we are, that kind of thing, and places them on God. And it creates the possibility of humility. It creates the possibility of heart transformation. It creates the possibility of brotherly love because we're not focused on us anymore. We're focused on the God who saves us. He then goes on and says this, Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What is going on here? Okay, at the time, part of the people that are combating Paul is a group of uh, Jewish supposed converts, people that... Essentially, wanted to add believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but still believe that you needed to fulfill the law in order to be saved. They 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 did not believe that Jesus, um, that you were saved completely by Jesus alone, and so what they are doing is they are teaching Gentiles particularly that you have to be circumcised the way Jews were circumcised in the covenant of Abraham in order to participate in the faith of Abraham or the faith of Abraham as given to us through Jesus. And so Paul is gonna react very strongly to this. And and there's a couple of reasons, he's gonna explain the reasons, but one thing I do wanna be very, very clear on, this this teaching of, of these particular people was not in keeping with the rest of the church. If you go back to Acts 15, which is actually before Acts obviously 16, and Acts 16 is when the Philippian churches started, Acts 15, is where the church finally decides that certain legal re- requirements of the law, like circumcision, was not going to be required of Gentiles to verify their faith. Okay, so faith is apart from works of the law. And that's where we get actually the book of Galatians that Paul writes right, probably right around the time, if not right after uh, this uh, council in Acts chapter 15. Second thing I want to point out here is this. In chapter 1, Paul says that he's not going to criticize those who preach the gospel out of rivalry to him. And yet here, he is criticizing something that he sees as a false gospel. And I want you to get this very, very clear, okay? We, we sometimes overplay sincerity in our life and society. So here what you have are people who are sincerely teaching the wrong thing, whereas in chapter 1, you've got people that are insincerely preaching the right thing. And so what Paul says is this, is that for the sake of unity, I'm not going to attack those people who are insincere but preaching the right thing. However, for the sake of the gospel, I am going to go after people that are sincerely teaching the wrong thing. Why? Because once again, the message of who Jesus is, is a top shelf priority. Okay. The sincerity is secondary. And it's just how Paul operates here. He goes on, he says, you know, he says part of the problem with with this group of people is they put their confidence in their flesh. In other words, they rely on themselves to earn their salvation. So Paul goes on and says, though I myself have reason to have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else, he thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh— I I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to the zeal, the persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay. So what he's basically saying is this is the people that are peddling this other false gospel, saying that you have to keep the law, be circumcised. Uh, They're Pharisees. And what Paul is basically saying is, listen, if you really understood who I was before I came to know Jesus, I outranked them. Did everything by the law. Uh, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I persecuted the church because I hated the gospel of Jesus. Uh, He did all these things. And when you go back and look at actually Paul's pedigree, he was among the elite of the elite. Um, like the, the, the teachers that taught him are well known in Jewish history uh, like, like he was an elite level Jewish scholar at the time and so he's going listen I outdid all these guys alright I outdid all their performance if they think they're righteous dude I essentially what he's kind of setting himself up to say is this, if they're right I had absolutely no need for Jesus because I was better than they were okay and then he says this But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So listen, all that stuff is worthless. Everything that I ever did that was good apart from Jesus is worthless. And I don't want to rely on anything I've done as good apart from Jesus. I only want to rely on Jesus. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The word there is dung, uh, poop. <clears throat> That's what he counts his good stuff as. The loss of all things and count it as rubbish. <clears throat> in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith, that I may know him <clears throat> and the power of his resurrection and, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. <clears throat> in other words, Paul says this. Listen, I, I said it this way in several other places, um, that the greatest lie of the enemy is that you can. it's up to you. Like Everything in life is up to you. It's up to you to earn your salvation. It's up to you to be righteous. It's up to you to be good. It's up to you to make a way in the world. And what Paul is saying is this, is like, listen, I at one point in time believed it was up to me to earn God's, God's favor. And actually, I was pretty good at it. I was better than the people that are telling you it's up to you, actually. And what I discovered is that all of those actions are absolutely worthless. And so what I want to do <clears throat> is I want to empty myself of all things that I consider good and hold on to Jesus' righteousness alone. I want. I want to like. I don't want to take any pride in what I do. I don't want to like. Like I don't want to. I don't want to give credit to who I am on my own. I don't want to point other people at how awesome I am. I want to divulge myself of all things that I can take credit for. To hold squarely in all the things that Jesus captured for me. That might experience the power of His resurrection. Now the power of His resurrection here, is kind of a two two two-sided idea. The first is the power that resurrected from Jesus from the dead is that power that transforms us. It's that, as we talked about last time, it's that salvation being worked out or two times ago worked out in us so that we can have the mindset of the citizenship of, Christ, of the kingdom of heaven, not our own mindset. That's the that's the power that sees suffering as good. That's the power that transforms who I am. But then the other is the guarantee that we are going to rise again in the full kingdom of God, that our citizenship has a connecting point to the eternal. Our citizenship in heaven has a connecting point to heaven itself, and that connecting point is Jesus Himself, who ties us in to both realms because His power resides in us now and guarantees that we will walk with Him later, be in His presence fully later. And <clears throat> so I don't want to. I don't want to take any credit for anything because I only want that which Jesus earned for me. And he goes on and says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In other words, I haven't fully grasped all this power. I haven't fully divulged myself of all these things, but this is what I do. I press forward constantly trying to make this concept my own, because Christ has made me His own. In other words, Jesus reached down and He grabbed me with His righteousness. And because He's grabbed me, I want to, I want to throw everything overboard other than me, so that I can make Him my own. goes on and says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So in other words, he, he sits there and goes, Listen, man. Everything that's happened, like, I forget everything that's in the past. And I lean forward to grab a hold of Jesus going forward, and everything that's related to Jesus. And like, I think in the immediate context, he's saying like, I, I'm forgetting. Listen, I'm forgetting everything. Like, I'm forgetting all the all the righteous things I did, all the keeping of the law I did. I'm forgetting all the horrible things I did. Like, here's a here's a pretty powerful thing. to understand? Like, Paul actively puts out there that he persecuted the church like he doesn't whitewash his testimony. And and yet his redemption in that is so strong that he's confident saying that going I I've left that behind. I've left all the good stuff behind. I've left all the bad stuff behind. Why? Because I just want to grab on to Jesus and go forward in his mission. I think subtly what he's also saying here is I've let go of all the other things that are in the past. I've let go of the people that are preaching out of rivalry to me to make me, to get under my skin because they know I can't preach right now. I'm letting go of that. I'm letting go of the the attacks and the mockery. I'm letting go of the betrayals. I'm letting go of that so that I can strain forward what lies ahead and press on the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, Part of resting in grace is letting go of those things behind you that would pull you out of grace so that you can do the main thing. And the main thing is advancing the call of God. For Paul, it's preaching and teaching churches and planting churches and, and building the lives of others. For you, it might be something else, but it always has that element to it. And so he's like, dude, listen, Part of the power of what Jesus has done for us is we can look at our past and we can go, listen, I can't take credit for the good stuff anyway, so why am I going to let the bad stuff hang on to me? I can't take credit for the good stuff anyway, so why am I going to let rivalry and those kind of things hold on to me? I can't take credit of anything. I don't want to take credit. Anything, any credit I can take competes with the grace of God's power, the resurrection power in my life. So if I can't hold on to anything, why would I hold on to any of the bad stuff? Like I'm going to let it all go for the sake of the gospel. And then he says this, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal to you, reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've obtained. He starts again. This is why I think the the, the this is all one letter. He starts in chapter two by saying, "Listen, this is the mindset of Christ." Here, you ready? You need to have the mind of Christ. What's the mind of Christ? Humility laying yourself down, sacrificing yourself, not holding on to your own ambition and rivalry and interest. And then he ends here by saying, what is a mature mindset? A mature mindset is letting go of everything other than what Jesus has done for you. All your accomplishments, all your uh, interest, all your achievement, uh, all the wrong done to you, all the all the pain, through the suffering, all the you, you got it's it's it's, it's he goes, and I haven't obtained it. I mean, he says he's struggling with this. It's not like a one time deal. He's like I, I I fight all these things, but what I'm trying to do is I want to let go of all those things so I can be fully grasping onto Christ and fully moving forward to His mission. And as we're going to see in a little, this is maturity. This is maturity. Why is it maturity? Because immaturity is turning around and picking something up, picking something up that Christ doesn't want us to pick up and making it a big deal. For Paul it would be, I'm going to pick up the fact that I was a really good Jew. I was a really good good Hebrew. I was a really good Pharisee. I'm going to pick that up and I'm going to show everybody how good I am. And that's going to hinder the cause of Christ. Just like... I'm gonna look back and I look at all the shame I have at at killing people for the gospel. I mean, there's a realistic possibility <clears throat> that at some point in his time, Paul taught theology to the family of his victims, and the shame and the 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 horror of 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 of, of, of killing people for a faith that he now holds, and, and he could hold on to that and go out and, get, and get himself all twisted. Into this place, and what he's saying is, man, I'm going to strive to let go of all that stuff. Why, for the sake of what really matters in life? And he says flat out, I haven't obtained it all. And so, kind of here's that's maturity, is a mature mindset of that. So, kind of here's my um, here's my encouragement to us because I'm going to wrap it up here before jump before we we'll do the next section next uh, podcast. But here's my encouragement. I was like. First of all, look at the power of what Jesus has done for you. He really has wiped out everything, good, bad, ugly, to bring you into his citizenship of heaven, to bring you into his his family with him, to bring you into a love relationship with him, to give you the resurrection power, both for the now and for the later. So Look what he's done for you. Number two, if God's wiped away your past, you don't need to hold on to it. If God's wiped away pain and bitterness, you don't need to hold on to it. If God's wiped away hurt, you don't need to hold on to it. You don't need to hold on to it. You need to move towards maturity. But here's the other thing. <clears throat> if you are struggling, and I know people in our congregation that struggle with a variety of things, including some of those things that are connected to clinical depression and and those kind of things, the discour- don't listen to this and get discouraged. Man, if Paul can wipe it out, why can't I wipe it out? No, 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 no. He said, listen, I press on. The failure is not in the feeling that your past controls you. The failure is not in the wrestling with the past to let it go. The failure is giving up. And so if you are someone out there that's wrestling with your past or struggling with depression and emotions that seem contrary to the truth of Scripture, my advice to you is this, is in addition to seeking you know good advice medical and that kind of thing my advice is this is listen make the statement of what you believe and keep wrestling through the reality press on hold fast his power is going to work in you but it's not about what we can do on our own it's about his grace working in us and we're going to wrap it up there <clears throat> today and pick up in the next one uh, next podcast. So let me pray for us today. Lord God, we just do, first of all, thank you for your grace in Christ. We thank you for what you've earned because of your, sal- your salvation and work. We thank you for the faith that forgives and wipes away Lord, the mistakes of the past. We thank you for the grace that wipes away the things that we did that, that we could take credit for. And Lord, I just pray that all of us out there, whether it's easy for us or hard for us, would strive to press forward to this level of maturity where we are constantly fighting to grab onto you, and to let go of things that compete with you. So Lord, I just pray a blessing of grace on all who hear me right now. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, listen, thank you again for listening to Harvest Talk. And as always, until next time, keep reaching people and building their lives. Take care.